When I see that they do trust each other in certain situations, they've got, probably got a way to talk about that. So I'm going to find it. So I came up with this idea, and I listed all my examples that I could think of, of examples where they trusted each other. If you were going to another village, you wanted to leave your child with someone, you wouldn't just leave it with any old person. You'd think, I'm going to leave it with so-and-so because he's a good man or a good lady, and uh, you could, I, I know that they'll look after my child. How would you talk about someone like that? I couldn't say, how would you say trust? Because I didn't know how to say trust. And so how would you talk about someone like that? And they look at me and they don't know what to say. So um, when I go to town on the airplane, I sometimes take your money and I buy things for you. You don't know if I'm going to bring your, th your goods back or I'm going to use all your money for my own ideas. And uh, you, you just say, no, no, Jack's a good friend of ours. We can, um, well, um, how do you talk about someone like that? When I go with you in the jungles, I don't know what you're taking me. I haven't a clue. I don't know if I'm even going to get back home. Um, so I have to say, no, these are my friends. They'll look after me, and um, I, uh, I can't say well. How, why would you talk about someone like that? So I'm using all these examples that I can think of in their situation where they would ex ex have to exercise some kind of trust, and myself included. And after a long time, I just didn't know how to go any further with this. One of the men piped up and he said, Do you mean, and I said, I don't know. What does that mean? He said, well, like you've been saying, just like you've been saying. I thought, well, that's hopeful, well, it would prove it kind of thing. So I said, well, then, um, what does it mean uh, if you had made a peace ceremony with some enemies, would you then begin to say that, hey? And, uh, yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we make a peace ceremony, of course, so we can trust them again. I thought, this is getting interesting. This is good. And so I was asking for more examples of what this Sedareidae means. That means we trust in the translation. Sedi would be the word for faith if we had to put it into a noun form, and that would be an infinitive if you're interested in grammar. So we came across this, but I had no idea what it would really mean and how I could really use it. So they gave me some examples, and at that point I was called away to the radio we had a two-way radio to talk to our headquarters. Someone wanted to chat with me. So I went and answered the call and came back to the group of men that I'd been meeting with. And they were chatting amongst themselves. And quite a, a, an animated conversation was going on, actually. And one of the men said, <clears throat> We don't need to fear the evil spirits. We don't need to fear sorcery anymore. We can trust God. And these two, two terms went together. Trust God. I thought, that's what I want. Exactly what I'm looking for. And so we found this term. And then we were able to uh, use it, of course, in our, in our different uh, messages and so on. So that's how it came about. And later, I think I was even back in England thinking about how I'd come across that term and how I developed it, and if you like, how God had brought it out for us. It was always another miracle that God uh, did for us when we found things like this out. Well, the first thing I realized that in all those examples that I gave, there was an element of fear, a risk, put it that way. When I go with you in the jungles, I'm risking something. When I take your money, you're risking something. When we do this, there's a risk involved in all of these examples I'd used, right? The next thing that I realized was the risk that you're prepared to take depends upon the character 
of the one that you're going to entrust your whatever with your child, your money, whatever. So that was the second thing. That there's a risk involved. It depends on the character of the person you're going to trust. And then the third thing that I realized, you can say all that, but it doesn't do you a bit of good if you don't do anything about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? What did James say? Um, faith without works is dead. I mean, you say you've got faith. What are you doing with it? Are you actually trusting God? Are you actually using faith to live your life? I ask you that this morning. We'll come back to that one. So I realized these, um, I realized these things about faith that I'd used to come across it. Risk was involved. The character of the one trusted was involved. And then the third thing was make use of that or there's no point in having it anyway. And so let's apply that to ourselves now. What is the risk that we talk about in Christian faith? Have you thought about that? If this is not true, if this is not the fact that we can depend on, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and we can be forgiven, there's a tremendous risk involved, isn't there? What is the risk? We will never be forgiven. We'll have to take the consequences of our own sin. That's the risk that people are running without realizing Satan is a deceiver. They don't realize it. They're running a tremendous risk because if they haven't got this right, they're in d deep trouble and they're going to spend eternity separated from God in that place we call hell. That's what's at stake. That's the risk that we are banking on now uh, in our trust for Jesus Christ. I am now removed from that risk by the, the work of Jesus Christ. So, whew, that's the first risk. And now it all depends upon the character of the one that we're trusting. Can you trust Jesus? Did he do, really do enough? Was God really satisfied? I mean, we can come up with our theology and we can tell everyone, everyone which verse we're going to go to for our trust and so on. Is this real? Can we really believe that God will forgive all my sins just because Jesus died on a cross? Did I say just because Jesus died on a cross? <laughs> forgive me. But um, yeah, this is the risk involved and this is the character that we're looking to. Did Jesus ever fail to fulfill a promise? Never. Can we trust him? Hmm, I believe we can. So let's put our faith in this one that we can trust. And then the third thing, of course, is so good, you know all about that. You've heard about it in Sunday school. You've heard about it in Bible class, wherever you might be. What good is it going to do you if you never commit yourself to that trust? Not a bit of good. Just a bit of head knowledge. But if you can say, I am trusting you, Lord Jesus, trusting only you, trusting you for full salvation. That's what it's all about. It's worthwhile then. Your trust is now placed in confidence in this person who's proved himself faithful all along. So that's what I came across as I was thinking about this, this um, word faith. Now, I am concerned about my translation of John's Gospel. I won't read it all to you today, but anyway, it's, it's a tremendous um, book. I enjoy it immensely, just uh, reading it over and over again. But... <clears throat> We often use John's Gospel when we're talking to people about salvation. We say, read John's Gospel, and we give them a copy and so on. And it talks an awful lot about faith and belief in that Gospel. I don't know if you thought about that, but, you know, God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and so on. 
So I didn't quote that properly, of course, but I do know the verse. So we, we tell people that they must have faith, but what, what, do, what, are, we, what are we telling them? What are we trying to tell, tell them about when we say this? Well, my trouble with my translation was that um, I had ignored one of the rules of Bible study. Have you ever heard this rule in Bible study? Um, study each verse in context. Have you ever heard that verse? Well, has anyone ever suggested that you do it that way? Um, <clears throat> probably you've heard about that, yeah. So do it in context. What is the context of John's Gospel? Did John ever explain the Gospel in his Gospel? I don't see anywhere where John says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, death on the cross, so that you can be forgiven for your sins. He doesn't say anything about that. He just tells you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just take you to the context of John's Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John chapter 20. It's so simple, and I missed the whole thing, really. John chapter 20. And right at the end of the chapter, verse 30, it says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Now, signs, what were the signs? They were miracles. That's the meaning of the word miracle, actually. It was not just something magical. It was a sign to prove something. So these signs that Jesus did was to prove who he was. And uh, John said, I could have told you about a lot more. I've given you a good, good sample here in my gospel, but I could have told you many, many more things that Jesus did. He said in this, in this verse here, he did many more which are not recorded in this book. Okay, so we know that there were many more things that he could have written about. But then he goes on in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe. Now what is John talking about in his book here? What does he want people to believe? That Jesus Christ died for their sins? I'm sure he meant that in some way, but he doesn't say that. What does he say? I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to believe who Jesus is. These signs are all signs of who Jesus is. And I've got a whole list of them here. I couldn't give you m many, many more. There's not just not space. There's just not time to do it. So this is what John is getting at in his gospel. I want you to, want you to understand who Jesus is. And my word I found for trusting that I just explained earlier was really about trusting for salvation. And John does not say that he's written this so that you will trust Jesus for salvation. He says, I've written this so you will know who Jesus is. Of course, this is very important, and it, um, it doesn't uh, lessen what Jesus did one little bit. So I try and explain what I'm saying here. John wants us to understand who Jesus is when we understand that what Jesus did becomes all the more important. To think that the Son of God would go through all that abuse, all that insult for me makes that very, very special. It wasn't just any old person who died on a cross. The Romans killed many people on crosses, but this was none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's believing who He is and what He did that gives me eternal life. This is so important to me that we get it right that none other than the Son of God died on the cross for me. Proved 
by his resurrection that God was satisfied with his offering. <clears throat> I was checking a translation in Philippians. You remember chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus being God, stooping all the way down to death on a cross. And the translator, had, in his particular tribal language, had said that Jesus had stooped down to death on a cross. But he missed out one word, and that word was even. And I had to pull him up on that. He said, well, why does that have to be there? I said, well, Jesus just didn't die. He died a shameful death on a cross. The cross was reserved for the worst kinds of criminals that the Romans could ever imagine. It was the worst torture and death for the worst kind of people. Jesus wasn't just uh, a person who'd done something wrong. He'd done the worst thing that society could think of. He had actually blasphemed God as far as the Jews were concerned. So that was very, very important. Jesus just didn't die. He died on a cross for you and for me. We don't understand that because we don't live in that culture, but it was the people would just laugh and jeer and spit at this person and just do everything they could to deride him and degrade him and so on because he was on a cross. And Jesus, none other than the Son of God, went through that for you and for me. Is it special? It ought to be. Remember now we're, we're talking about faith. Now, uh, switch a little bit in my thinking here, thinking about the disciples. Did the disciples hear what Jesus taught them? Um, I mean, they were there with him. Did they hear him? Yes, they heard him. Next question, did they believe him? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I think it is anyway. Let's just read a... a a couple of verses, well, three actually, in Matthew's Gospel. Sorry for this jumping around because I'm doing a subject and not a passage here. Let's go to Matthew 16. We could have had these on the projector, couldn't we? Never mind. What time do we finish? Two o'clock, is it? Okay. okay, chapter 16 and verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Do you think they heard Jesus say that? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why we have it written here. Did they believe that? No, they didn't believe that. They heard it, but they didn't believe it. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that in a minute. Go over to chapter 17, verse 23. Or 22 would be better. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man, he's talking about himself there, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Do you think they heard him say that? Yep. Do you think they believed him? Nope, they didn't believe him. <laughs> we'll see why in a minute. They heard that, and we've read it, and we've seen it, and so on. It's so obvious what, they, what is meant there. Go over a little bit further, chapter 20. Verse 
We'll start at verse 18, where Jesus says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Do you think they heard that? Yep. Did they believe it? No, they didn't. How can I say that? Well, they heard it. You know, sometimes we tend to spiritualize things, don't we? There must be a hidden meaning behind that. Maybe Jesus had some mysterious meaning that we don't really... Oh, well, he couldn't have actually meant what he actually said. There must be some hidden mysterious meaning behind it. I can I could see myself trying to re, 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 justify all this or uh, make it make sense. What's the word I'm looking for there? But anyway... They didn't believe it. And we know that because when Jesus told them again, and Peter said, ah, no, no, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. Um, did you hear what I said, Peter? <laughs> I said, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And the third day, I'm going to rise again. No, 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 that can never. You're the Messiah. This can never happen to you. And you remember the people on the road to Emmaus, the two men, and they're down in the dumps, and Jesus said, what's upset you guys? And they said, well, have you never heard what's been going on in Jerusalem? This guy's been killed, and we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one who was going to deliver Israel again, and we are going to be free of the Romans, and it's all finished. It's, it's done with. Were they expecting Jesus to be killed? No, they thought he was going to live forever. He was the Messiah. And now what was, must, they been, must they have been feeling? to realize what was going on. So, I was, why, I'm, I'm, um, why I'm stressing this is that we can hear what Jesus says, but the question really comes down for us today, do we believe what Jesus says? I mean, we hear it, we might find some way of sort of uh, jiggling that around in our minds so that it makes some kind of sense, but it can't mean what it actually says, because that's impossible. And that must have been like that for the disciples. Could you imagine someone saying to you, I'm, I'm going to get killed next week, but I'll see you on Friday. You know, <laughs> what? I mean, we, we, we tend to look down on the disciples and say, why didn't you believe what Jesus said? It's so obvious. But we weren't there, were we? If we had been there, what would we be thinking? What, is, what, what does he mean? This is not, not possible. And I don't think we're any different from those people that uh, were... We just happen to know the next chapter, right? But they didn't. And so we're in our lives, we don't know the next chapter. Are we going to believe this same person for the next chapter, even though we don't understand what it's all about? Testing of your faith might come tomorrow. Who knows? I don't know. But anyway, this is what I'm getting at. That it's so easy to say we believe, we understand what Jesus said, and uh, yet we don't really believe it. What are the disciples' faith? As I said, Peter said, uh, uh, you're not going to die. You could never die. And then, all right, let's, just, let's, let's think that, oh, maybe, yeah, you're, you're heading to Jerusalem. They're bound to kill you if you go there. You remember what Thomas said? All right, let's go and die with him. We're in trouble here. So off we go to Jerusalem, we'll all die together, okay. So they were expecting real trouble, but would they have expected to rise again? That, that's, that's asking a bit much, yeah. We might get killed, but we're never going to rise again, surely. That can never happen. 
We, we, we know so much more than they did. And so we think that, oh, they should have believed him. Why didn't they believe him? Like we do. I beg your pardon. We'll see what happens in a minute. Yeah, we tend to mentally reprimand them for not believing what Jesus said, but we have the next chapter. We know what did happen. But would we have believed something so unheard of? Um, John chapter 16, if you can just go there quickly. Do read John's Gospel with... uh, with some of this new thinking about belief and faith in there, we're talking about none other than the Son of God. <clears throat> John 16. Remember, this was the night before Jesus was arrested and, and then he went on to be crucified. And these last um, chapters are very important of what Jesus was going through and what he was thinking and so on. <clears throat> Let's start at verse 28. There's a lot more we could read. Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly. At last we understand what you mean. We've got it now. You know, this is how we would be, right? Oh, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Ah, at last they believed, I think. Did they? (laughs) Did it take that? I don't think that convinced them either. But this was the struggle that was going on in their minds. What on earth is he talking about? Now you're speaking clearly. You're going back to God. Yeah, oh, that's fine. No problem. But they didn't didn't include the, the crucifixion and the resurrection in their thinking, I'm sure, at that point. He's going to, oh, he's going back to heaven. That's wonderful. Now we believe that's where you came from. But when the time came for him to die, <clears throat> did they calmly accept it? Yeah, that's what he said. That's, that's good. And we've got to wait for him to rise from the dead now, right? Were they thinking that way? Not at all. Luke 24. <laughs> the men on the road to Emmaus again. I just uh, to read it for our, our reminder. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels and who'd said he was still alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. I mean, can you imagine what was going on? in those disciples' minds on this particular day. What were the women doing? Bless the women. We, we love the women, don't we? we? What would we do without them? I'm not quite sure, but anyway. What were the women doing that, that uh, first resurrection morning? Remember? Look in the first verse of that chapter. Chapter 24 of Luke. On the first day of the week, 
very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why did they do that? What were they going to do? Meet the risen Jesus? That's not why they went there. Why did they take the spices? They were going to embalm what? A corpse. He's dead. It's finished. We believed all that, but now it's come to an end. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And we take these things so glibly, it seems, as believers. Yeah, Jesus Christ died for my sins and he rose again. What really happened? Can you put yourself in their position and imagine what that would have been like? I try to do that when I read the scriptures. Try and read the scriptures in the context, as we mentioned earlier, of the Jewish culture of that time, not as we think of it today. Put yourself there and think, well, what would I have been like? What would I have been thinking at that point? Here were these poor women going to the, um, going to the tomb with these spices. That, <sighs> no hope at all. That was the, it was the end. It was finished. They were all discouraged and scared. They were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to arrest them for supporting Jesus and so on. And so I ask you, did the disciples really believe Jesus? <laughs> this doesn't give me the impression that they believed him at all. They thought something wonderful was going to happen. He's going to go back to heaven, but not, not like this. And so it's easy for us to accept them some things that um, we, uh, we take it for granted that uh, we understand and it's going to be so simple to, to do this. And so I ask us again, really, do we believe? Do we really believe what Jesus said? You remember um, Jesus met them one day. They were all in a room, locked up, and Jesus appeared. What did he say to them? Do you remember? Shalom. What does that mean? Peace. I wonder why he said that. Have you ever thought about it? If you were locked in a room and someone who had died suddenly appeared in the middle of you, would you be oh, wonderful to see you. Would you be like that, do you think? What on earth is going on here? Is this a ghost? You know, they were scared to death, I'm sure. And Jesus said, don't be upset, it's me. <laughs> Shalom. Wow. They were terrified. I'm sure they were terrified. But then what happened? The joy was overflowing. It's true. He really meant it. There's one translation, I was thinking of it when I was translating this passage about the resurrection. You know, the disciples went to the tomb and they didn't find the body of Jesus. I think that's a bad translation because it's like, yeah, the body was there, but they were looking in the wrong place. They didn't find it. What should it say? They found that there was no body there. It wasn't there. And I think it's a much better translation, but to say that they didn't find the body... It's a bit difficult because they could have been in the wrong corner. Maybe if you look around that corner, they might have found it, but that's just the wrong translation. But this is what we're talking about. A body, now declared dead, appears in the room with them. <sighs> what would you feel like? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But Jesus did keep his word. The problem was, we're talking about the disciples' faith right now. They didn't believe it. How does that apply to us? 
Can Jesus really be trusted? I think that's pretty good proof that he can. The fact that he said he would die and rise again the third day, and he actually did it. That's pretty good proof that he can be trusted. What did he say in John 14? I think that's been mentioned um, this weekend, at least. I don't know. I'm not sure what time we're supposed to finish. Uh, Ten to one? All right. (laughs) Anyway, um, where am I? Oh, John 14, yeah, this is another chapter that, uh, that's another sermon actually, so we could stay, stay, a bit, stay a bit longer, we'll do this one as well. Um, do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, uh, at my Father's house, many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am, so that you can be where I am. You know that the way to a place where I am going. Jesus said that to them, and we love that, especially when it's time for a funeral, don't we, that there's God's preparing that. The thing that really struck me about that was not that he's going to prepare a place for me, but he wants me to be with him. Why does Jesus want me to be with him? This is what love does. There's nothing lovable about me, I assure you. But for some reason or other, Jesus loves me enough that he wants to come back for me and for you and so that we can be with him. Why? He wants us to see his glory. He prays that to his Father in those last days too, that we can be with him. One day we're going to see him and be like him because we're going to see him as he is. Those are amazing thoughts to me. He's going to transform our lowly body so it'll be like his glorious body. What is he saying? You know, we're t- we're t- we would believe this. I'm going, this is fantastic stuff. We're going to be in, in realms that we've never imagined. But this is when we say, oh, I I believe in Jesus. (laughs) It's so easy to say things like that. But what of our faith? Are we excited about the fact that whatever happens, God is in control and he will have the last word in our lives if we've handed our lives over to him? So that's my, um, my, my desire for us all. Can we really say um, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? That that is a difficult chapter for me, um, and I wish we could all really say it truly. It's easy to, to read and to think about, but uh, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6? Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith. Is that true? Do you need any faith to get out of bed tomorrow morning and go about your daily, your daily chores? You probably don't need much faith for that. Some people in our Christian um, fellowship, our our body of Christ around the world, are facing some really hard things. And for them to get up and go to work in the morning is going to be a fearful thing. Anyway, we we just have to to take these things so, um, so convenient for us. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, while good or bad. But Paul says this, we live by faith, we walk by faith, and we would quote that so readily. But is it true? Are we living by faith? Do we have to trust God for anything more than our eternal salvation? 
That's the interesting thing to me. We can trust God for our eternal salvation, which is way off in the future somewhere, perhaps, maybe even today, who knows. But uh, I'm not so sure I could trust him about teaching in a Sunday school class. I mean, oh, I could never lead a Bible study. No, no, I could never do that. You know, just we, can, we walk by faith. Do we really? Are we trusting ourselves or are we trusting God with our lives? This is a question that really I'm coming down to. It's so easy to say we trust, we believe, I'm saved. And all these things are so easy to say, but how is that affecting our lives? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of our life? Is he the Savior in the sense that he saves the whole of us, not just our eternal salvation? And uh, this is where the question comes in. I had my first experience of trusting the Lord practically when I was helping with some evangelistic meetings in our town back in, in, in England. And we decided to show a Billy Graham film. And what that meant, we had to hire a big hall in the technical college. We had to hire equipment. We had to buy for advertising. And we had to hire the film. So there was a lot of expense. And I was on the committee. And we were trying to work out how we would do this. And they said, we'll have to have an offering during the film showing so that we can recoup our losses for this, uh, the expenses for this film. And I said, I don't think that's right. If God wants us to do this, we shouldn't ask the unsaved to pay for what we think the Lord wants us to do. Let's trust the Lord and not have an offering. Oh, we've got to have an offering. No, please, let's trust God to see us through this. I said, I'll tell you what. If we don't have an offering, I'll, I'll pay for what, what we're still owing. <laughs> I just felt God wanted me to do that. I'd been reading a book about people who did that one time, and I thought, wow, if that's real, you can really do that, then maybe this is my opportunity to try it. He said, oh, well, at least let us put a plate by the door so that if anyone wants to put something in there, they can do that. I said, okay, that's okay, but we're not going to ask the unsafe people to pay for our event. All right, we'll do that. So the treasurer added everything up afterwards, and guess what? We were one and a half pennies to the good. And one of them had the cheek to say, oh, well, you were showing off with all your money. Why don't you make a contribution? <laughs> so I did. And I had no income at all. Um, but this was my little experience. If God wants me to do it, I can do it. And I felt that God was on in that. And I've been able to continue that in different situations as I've gone. Are you walking by faith? Are you trusting the Lord in every step of your life? I, I'll leave that with you as a challenge. I was meeting with one, uh, one of the um, Hawaiians uh, one time. We were, on a, we were out for a conference away from home somewhere, just chatting, and I told him how I'd left England, left my job, and went to England, from England to America on a big boat, and went to do missionary training, didn't know where my next penny was coming from, did the missionary training, went back to England, we got on another boat, and went to Australia, didn't know what that was going to do, what it was going to be like, and came up to Papua New Guinea, not knowing where I would go, and I was telling him my life story, basically, and he was there and he said, you know, that's our problem. That's our problem, he said. I mean, what, what are you talking about? He said, well, the reason we won't uh, elect any elders, like you've been asking us to do for a long time, is because we're not trusting God to, take, to make, enable us to do it. It's just the way it struck him. You know, I was not planning that at all, but he took it that way. We're not trusting God. We, 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 we know his word. We know what he wants us to do, but we won't do it because we're not trusting and there may be things in your life that I can't get into, of course. And, uh, well, it's for you to decide with the Lord. Do you remember that Jesus gave us a job to do? Do you remember that, by any chance? Do you believe he means us to do it? 
Really? Do you, mean, do you think he really means when he said the gospel must be preached throughout all the world? Do you, what was the emphasis at the end of the, the gospels? Um, as the Father sent me, so I send you, Jesus said. And then Matthew, you know, make disciples of all the nations, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What does it tell us in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 or 7 and 8 and 9 there? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Do we really believe this part of it? Is this what Jesus was doing when he was on earth, making salvation available for the whole world? Yes, this is what it's all about. This is his emphasis. Do you ever hear of any plans to get this job done? I've asked that before. I don't hear of any plans. Somehow, somewhere, somebody is going to do it. Why not us? How many volunteers do I have here to go into missionary training and go out to reach some of those two billion people that have never heard of Jesus? Does it matter to us? Are we concerned? And this is my, this is my reason for talking about faith. It's going to take faith for us to do what God wants us to do. Some of us don't even care what God wants us to do. We've got our own plans, right? Well, this is where I come back to the point of offering our lives over to him. After all he's done for me, the least I can do is offer myself back to him. There's a lot more I'd like to talk about, but I'm going to have to stop. But uh, let's walk by faith in, in, uh, in reality and not just in um, speech and talking about it and so on. Will we trust Jesus now if it means giving up worldly security, our homes, our friends, our families, to go to tell those still waiting for this good news about Jesus? Would we encourage our children or grandchildren to do that if they felt God was leading them that way? Why are the laborers still so few? What did Jesus tell his disciples? Pray for laborers. But where will they come from? Dare we say, use me as you choose, Lord. Even though I'm old, I want to be used. I want the Lord to use me. I'm looking for opportunities for God to use my life however he chooses. And I don't know what that means right now, but I'm uh, uh, available. I don't know about your church in particular, except I know that you are interested in missionary work. And um, there's a lot more we could talk about there. But what about the universal church, if I can put it that wide, of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ? seems to me that we're more in, involved in arguing about doctrine. We're more involved in getting our church services right, the right songs, the right kind of music group you have. And by the way, if you don't know what worship is, it means listening to a third-rate band playing for 20 minutes while you try and stop your ears, and uh, they call it worship. You don't feel like worshiping anyway. Anyway, we've got the wrong idea about worship. Go to Romans chapter 1. Spiritual worship, offer yourself to him as a sacrifice. That's what true, true worship is. I'm yours, Lord. You did that for me. What do you want me to do? I'm here. Take me. Use me. And this is what Christian worship is all about, so far as I'm concerned. Does the world govern our lives? Our society says, you've got to get a good job. Get a good education so you can get a good job, get lots of money. Do we measure success by money? Do we measure success by wealth and how we use it and so on? This is the world forcing us into its mind, its mold. What does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. 
What does the world say? Make yourself something. Make a name for yourself. Be somebody. What did Jesus say? Follow me. <laughs> we were encouraged in our valedictory uh, service when we were leaving our missionary training to stay in the are not class. If you're from Australia, like one person I know here, are not is the, 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 the name of a biscuit in Australia, the are not. But that's not what he's talking about. Stay in the group of the are not people because God chooses the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. God uses nobodies. He's basically it saying you don't have to be somebody great, somebody special. God will take the are not people and he will use them for his glory if we're available. That's been my experience. And um, I love the idea that um, God will take a life and use it. As I said, I was silly enough to volunteer and look what God did. I mean, it's just amazing. I just cannot thank him enough for it. But um, where are the volunteers now? <clears throat> Go back to what we talked about, faith. Faith involves some kind of risk. If I go to Papua New Guinea, will I get malaria? Yeah. Will I have a kidney stone at 3 o'clock in the morning that I can't do anything about because I can't get to A&E? If my temperature, the temperature of my daughter won't go down after three days and I, I'm, she's going to die, is that okay? You don't know what it means, but are you prepared to trust him through these things? Whatever it might mean for you, I can't say for you, this is what living by faith means to me. When you've got it all tied up, no, 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 I'm not going out there. That's outside my comfort zone. If I do that, I might get into trouble. I might be uncomfortable. These things, our lives are governed by our society and our flesh and our, our worldly thinking, but we need to be transformed and let Jesus Christ rule in our lives, I believe. There's so much more to say. I'm going to have to stop because the, the, the lunch is burning in the oven or whatever. And uh, remember what James said, faith without works is dead. You've got faith? Is it doing anything? It's just dead faith. I'll leave that with you to think about today. Are we really concerned? I want to say this too. God is not dependent on us for his work to be completed, but he has granted us the privilege of being co-laborers with him to see it completed. What an honor to be a co-laborer with God. Paul said some water, some plant. I think I said, well, some dig the ground up first too. <laughs> That's what I had to do. But God gives the increase. And it's God taking these things that are available to him to bring these people to himself. You remember Peter? You, have you heard about Peter in the Bible? You remember? Did he ever deny his Lord? I think he did, didn't he? And what did Jesus ask him at the end? Do you love me? These things are written. As you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when you believe those things, you'll have eternal life. There's nothing to beat that. We've got to stop because the clock says so, not because anything else says so. I'll pray and then we'll go, shall we?